I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. My 2022 gardening resolution will be to focus on small things I can change that will make a big difference. One is to save more seed, as it is often mass-produced and can have a significant environmental impact. Peas and beans are the easiest to start with. You can select your best plants for seed, as they'll be perfectly adapted to your garden. My gardening resolutions this year are going to be growing Good King Henry, which is Chenopodium bonus henricus which is a perennial vegetable, tastes like asparagus when it's cooked and the young leaves can be grown and eaten like spinach. So yeah, that's going to keep me nice and healthy into the new year and I wish you all a healthy new year too. Hello, welcome to the first show of 2022. I'm Verity Battle. It's always fun to experiment in the garden. My gardening resolution for this year is to get back into growing edibles. It took a back seat last year as I was busy planning my wedding and I really missed it. Hopefully I will find some new things to grow this year. I'm really looking forward to hosting this week's episode of Gardening with the RHS, which is all about setting you up for the new year in style. We'll discuss some must-have plants with our very own podcast star Guy Barter, get some practical tips with RHS Principal Gardening Advisor James Lawrence, and discuss how to be more sustainable on our allotments. Let's start with the most important part of any green space, plants. I love to try out new varieties. It's part of the reason why I work on the trials team here at Wisley. This year, I'm really excited about our sweet pea trial, which is gonna smell amazing, and our salvia trial, as they are gonna look fantastic. And if you're looking to branch out this year, you might want to get your notepad out. I caught up with our King of Plants, RHS Chief Horticulturalist and fellow podcast host, Guy Barter, to ask him about his top five plants he's excited to try in his garden this year. Well, the first one that I was going to grow are tree lilies. Tree lilies have been around for 20 years, but I've never actually grown them. When they first came out, they were so vigorous and enormous but I had many difficulties convincing RHS members that they were actually lilies, but they are. And they've got great vigour and longevity. I was just speaking to a relative at the weekend who's had them for some years, and they persist in her garden despite all the manifold problems of lilies and diseases and pests. So in my garden, it's full of shrubs and bushes and things, so I was going to grow the tree lilies either in the ground, so they come up through the bushes and shrubs, or I put them in pots and then just move them to where they're needed later on. 
Mm-hmm. Um, lilies have always been my favourite flower, and I've always liked all sorts of bulbs. Unkind people say it's because they're like onions, but um, that's only part of it. <laughs> Lovely. So that's one. Next one, what would be your second one? Well, I was going to have a go at tiger nuts. I just happened to see in these email newsletters that come round from the seed companies, they're offering a packet of seed for a pound. Well, at that sort of price, you can't really go wrong. Tiger nuts are, are not nuts that are eaten by tigers. And as far <laughs> as I know, tigers have no input into tiger nuts whatsoever. Well, I'm going to give it a go. And you have to try these things. I've tried virtually everything over a lifetime of vegetable gardening. But there's always more things that come along. But I feel I must try for the sake of the RHS members so I can better advise them. Absolutely, Guy. You have to try them so exactly you can give your opinion on your thoughts on them. OK, two down, three to go. What's number three on your to-grow list next year? And I'm also going to have a go at candy roaster squash. It's a kind of squash, a winter squash, that is said to be grown by Cherokees in America. And it's one of those squashes that is widely grown in America and not so widely grown in Britain. But I've had a couple this year, and unlike Crown Prince, which is by far my favourite squash, they're easy to peel. To peel my Crown Princes, I have to do it with a felling axe in the garden, and my eyesight isn't what it was, so that's not always so easy. Anyway, it's a delicious squash, both as a baked vegetable and for making soup and pie. So I'm going to grow some of those as well. Right. So we've got two edibles and one ornamental so far. Which way are you going to go for your last two? Also, I'm going to grow nareens. I've never grown nareens. Every year I forget to buy some. They make a fantastic cut flower. And I've also got a new sunny border in front of my greenhouse. It should be ideal for them. Nareens are a bulb. They've got a very interesting habit, which can fox some people. They send up their flowers in the autumn, and they're somewhat tender. Anyway, they send up their lovely spidery flowers, that are usually in pinks and reds and whites, and then the flowers die down, or you take them as cut flowers. Then they send up their leaves. They're one of these plants that hides away from the heat in the summer, flower in the autumn, and then do their leaves all winter, which is fine if you live in Cornwall. But here in suburban Surrey, can get bitterly cold, so it's essential to choose a sheltered spot. But I only live four miles from Wisley, and if we can grow nareens at Wisley, I'm sure I can manage it at home. Absolutely. Quite good for round buildings, aren't they? I think we've got quite a lot of them round buildings. They love the shelter of walls, and that's where their green leafy grassy foliage also provides a bit of greenery for the winter as well. I rather like those sort of bulbs that flower in the autumn and uh, have leaves all winter. Things like cyclamen, for example. People don't think of them. We focus on the wonderful spring bulbs, of course, but uh, it's well worth considering these somewhat tender later ones. Absolutely. Okay, so last but not least, number five. Well, I'm going back to kales. Because of the problems with pests and diseases in my allotment where I've overcropped it with brassicas over the years and um, made my land brassica sick, I'm going to grow more kales because they are um, so very resilient. The kind of things I eat now are more suited to kales, so things like stir-fries and soups and that sort of thing, kales do very well for. So after ignoring kales for many years, I'm going to give them a fair chance and uh, see how they come on. Lovely. Well, thank you, Guy. I think you've got a a very good mix there. Say ornamentals, edibles and some very new things as well. So you have to let us know how you get on with those. Well, we'll have to catch up, Verity. We will. We will. Thanks, Guy. I love talking to Guy. I think those tiger nuts he spoke about sound very interesting. But personally, I'm going to stick to something a bit more familiar and try growing aubergines as I never have before. 
So now we have the plants, it's time to set up the garden. We've got to consider the soil, frost, planting up, pruning. There's so much it can feel a bit overwhelming. So to help us clear it all up, I spoke to our principal advisor, James Lawrence, in RHS Garden Wisley. Well, the, the first thing I would think about is what am I doing with that Christmas tree that I've had in the house uh, all over Christmas? So worth mentioning a few ideas what you can do with that. If you've had a real cut Christmas tree, lots of councils will collect and recycle them. So that's an option. You might have a shredder yourself, in which case you could shred it and uh, use the shreddings for a mulch, often on pathways. If you're putting it on borders, then I suggest around plants that are similar, so around conifers or or maybe other acid-loving plants. You could just chop it up into uh, sections and add it to or create a small kind of log pile because that helps with uh, wildlife interest in the garden. And some people actually will use the trees in gaps in hedges or to create what we call dead hedges which is just a barrier between different areas of the garden or between you and a neighbour and that allows wildlife to be able to travel through that corridor without being out in the open so various options what you could do with your Christmas tree to start with. I think that's fantastic that's absolutely brilliant and I have to say if you're ever at uh, Wisley and up in the wildlife garden there's a really nice example of a dead hedge around the back and I actually think it's something more places should have I really like them so how about in the garden is there anything in January we should perhaps be doing actually in the garden itself or is it all still looking after itself well I mean January is a quieter month in the garden but it's a great opportunity to get some planning done and there's various things you can think about for the season ahead so are there any changes that you're planning on making in the garden and if so this is a good time to do your research rather than fall into the old issue of deciding things last minute and perhaps choosing wrong plants or planting things in the wrong place. So do your research now. Are you planning on growing anything different from seed? So perhaps plan any propagation that you might be doing. And if you grow your own vegetables, it's a really good time to think about what you're going to be growing and how you're growing them. So maybe think about crop rotation, for example, which is basically making sure you're not growing the same plant in the same place that you did the previous year. And that helps to minimise any pest or disease issues. There are other benefits. So, for example, if you grow brassica crops where you grew legumes the year before, so if you've grown beans and peas, they can fix nitrogen in the soil. And then your brassica crops, your cabbages and your kale, they like that really nitrogen-rich soil. So they benefit from being where your legumes were the year before. So all that kind of planning you can do in advance so that when you come to actually getting to sort of March and April and you're really getting going in the garden, you're kind of a bit more organised and you're going to get things right. It's also a good time to contact the advisory service and get that advice. There we go. You have peak figures in January for people asking you questions. And uh, what are you looking forward to about gardening? Are you going to try anything different maybe? Yes, I I think I'm increasingly trying to introduce more wildlife into my own garden as well. So it's a good time of year to be thinking about that and doing the planning. I have an area of what I would call lawn that is really going to be much more naturalistic. I'm going to be much less worried about what comes up in it. I'm going to add some uh, wildflower plugs to it and there's bulbs I've already planted in it. So there's some nice changes there. And one side of my garden is quite heavily shaded. So just making sure I've got a good mix of kind of wildlife friendly plants that are suitable for those conditions as well. That's what I'm really looking forward to this year. 
oh, that sounds really good. And finally, while I've got you, any gardening resolutions? I think we're going to try it to garden more sustainably where we can. So whether that's increasing potential for wildlife in the garden, whether that's really thinking about how much water you use in the garden and how you use it, recycling as much as you can, products like pots, plastic pots, just making sure you can get as much use from them as possible and have a look at what else is out there on the market, the alternatives to things you may have traditionally used that can kind of lessen your footprint on the gardens because if we all do our own individual bits it adds up to a much larger whole. Lovely well thank you James there's some really interesting points there and uh, I know I'm going to take some of those away especially about the Christmas tree and give them a go in my garden thank you very much. You're welcome. As gardeners more and more of us are trying to do our bit for the planet by growing sustainably and I'm not just talking about growing your own cut flowers or buying electric lawnmowers we can think about it when growing food too as keen allotment here, Gareth Richards explains. So my first top tip for growing sustainably is to shop wisely. This time of year, there might not actually be that much that you're doing in the ground, but you might be preparing, you might be buying stuff to get ready for the season ahead. And try, if you can afford it, don't buy cheap new stuff because you just have to keep buying it every year. So for example, when I started off on my allotment, I got the cheapest little plastic polytunnel that I could and do you know what it fell to bits within a year and my plot was full of all these tiny little pieces of plastic you'll see them they're the woven kind of fabric polytunnels and okay it's amazing you can get a 20 foot polytunnel for 100 pounds but that will be gone within a year or two so if you can shop around get a secondhand aluminium greenhouse because aluminium will last forever and when you're done with it you can recycle it. So if you can get a second-hand greenhouse, I got mine off eBay for, it was about £100 and it's 10 feet by eight. To buy that new would cost you an absolute fortune. And if you get it second-hand, you don't have the carbon emissions associated with manufacture. So yeah, it's, it's kind of a win-win. You save money, save the environment. My second tip, which kind of relates to the first, is ditch the plastic. So, for example, there's lots and lots of plastic versions of tools and sundries and things like watering cans. If you get a plastic watering can, that's probably going to last you two years at most. A metal watering can can last you a hundred years and they're repairable. It is a really worthwhile investment. It might seem like it costs more to start with, but actually it doesn't because in the long run, you will spend more money replacing your cheap plastic watering cans than you will just buying a metal one in the first place. But also plastic comes in sort of various guises and you see things like garden string. Now you might think, I thought this, I got plastic garden string to tie in my raspberries and I thought, oh, this is brilliant, it won't rot. But of course it degrades in the sunlight and suddenly my plot was full of tiny little pieces of bright blue nylon string and I'm not going to make that mistake again. I'm going to get plastic coated wire or thicker rope, things like that, or just tie them in with jute every year. Now is also a really good time to get saving your kitchen plastic. So, for example, mushroom punnets are a really, really good thing to save because they're really handy for just picking a few veg and herbs. The same for um, takeaway containers. If you grow fruit, keep your Chinese takeaway containers, the little snap-on Tupperware lids. They are brilliant because they will just help you transport your crops without damaging them. And you get saving them now. Things like toilet rolls as well. They make great plant pots for seedlings. If you get saving these kind of things now, you'll be ready kitted out by the time the growing season gets into full flow. 
So if you want to get kitted out for growing your own, say, tomatoes and things like that, things that you have to start in little pots, then don't rush straight to the garden centre and buy fresh ones because quite often garden centres will have pot recycling so people can drop off their spare pots outside and people then who need some plastic pots because they do build up over time can come and get them. So, And if your garden centre doesn't have one of these, ask them why not because black plastic plant pots aren't recyclable. They might have the little symbol on which tells you what kind of plastic they are but because they've got that black pigment in them the recycling machines can't pick them up. Tip number three is going peat-free. We've talked about peat a fair amount on this podcast, but it is a really, really important message to keep on talking about because peat bogs are an absolutely vital part of the fight against climate change. They hold more carbon per hectare than tropical rainforest. It's just insane how precious this resource is and it it is complete madness to just dig it up and use it for um, growing your seedlings when there are really good alternatives available but I did notice something recently when I was at the garden centre there's a compost that's on the market you can't always believe the labels it's labelled as organic and it would have you thinking it's really really environmentally friendly and actually it's about 50% peat so look on the label and unless it says peat free it isn't And just a couple of peat-free growing tips is to stick your finger in. If you can feel moisture on your finger, it doesn't need watering. Peat-free compost can often look drier than it is. And also, the nutrient levels can be a little bit different to what you'd expect in peat. So maybe be aware that sometimes plants might need a little bit more feeding as well. And in at number four for sustainability top tips is to think about your veg patch as an ecosystem because nature doesn't see the walls and the boundaries that we put up to the natural world your vegetable plot has just as much potential as a wildflower meadow we all have a duty i think to not kill the things that are trying to share our world with us and i think if you get to know your plot and the wildlife you're sharing it with it will make you a better gardener everything has its uses so even slugs some slugs don't eat plants at all they eat other slugs a lot of slugs will eat only really dead stuff and then what comes out after they've eaten the dead stuff is actually plant food and even the ones that are less desirable are food for hedgehogs and things so i think generally the thing that i've learned is have a bit of patience because you might have aphids covering your broad beans for a few weeks but then the ladybirds will arrive and trust me, they will. You just have to hold your nerve. And that, that's, I think, the biggest lesson I've learned having my allotment for eight years now is that just hold your nerve and nature will come to your help. And there's tons of things you can do, like leaving a few veg to flower. So, for example, things like kale and onions, both will flower and they're absolute bee magnets. They're wonderful. They will bring in and hoverflies and they will bring in all of these beneficial insects. And finally, number five, compost, compost, compost. The compost bin is your new best friend. (laughs) Every little bit of plant waste on your plot is a valuable resource, I think, because that will help you build up your compost. And plant health, that vigour and your good crops, it all starts with the soil. And if you feed your soil with compost, you can't go wrong. And if you've got pernicious weeds, things like bindweed and nettles and ground elder and stuff, what you can do, don't compost those, 
put them in a bucket of water for a couple of months till they've completely died. It will stink, but it will be brilliant plant food, and then you can compost the remains. Gareth Richards. That's all for this week. We've covered a lot today, so for a full list of everything we've suggested, head to rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast or check out our show notes. All that's left to say is goodbye and Happy New Year from me, Verity Battle. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.